from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Watson needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is a drink of wisdom. Welcome to a drink of wisdom. With Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard, I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thank you for spending some of your time with us. What's up, fellas? What up, man? What's up, Cody? Don't hit us with that, that good old word today. I'm so glad you asked. In episode 17, the Nationals make history, NBA Wednesday is flat out wild, and we outline our top 10 teams in college football. We began with Thursday night football. The San Francisco 49ers passed the divisional road test, holding off the Arizona Cardinals 28-25. to 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo threw for 317 yards and four touchdowns on a night where the much-lauded 49ers defense wasn't at their best. The Niners improved to 8-0 on the year, while the Cardinals fall to 3-5. So we'll start with you, Drink. Is there any doubt left in your mind that the 49ers are legit Super Bowl contenders? Absolutely not. Um, I thought the 49ers, they, 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 did, they showed me what I wanted to see. One thing I wanted to see was I wanted to see adversity. I wanted to see the 49ers go through adversity because no matter what you're saying about the 49ers, they played a, a less than pleasurable schedule up to this point. And I'm not saying the Cardinals was just like a step up, but I would say this. The uniqueness of the Cardinals quarterback was a step up. So when I, I want to see how the 49ers defense, because that's what all the rage has been about. Oh, this defense. Yeah, this defense. Can you score on this defense? This defense, that. They got all three levels covered. So when, when they play a little short five-whatever quarterback that can run like the wind and that can throw the ball, I wanted to see could this so-so vaunted 49ers defense what they can do. Now, don't get me wrong. As you watch the game, Kyler Murray, he, he made a lot of plays on his defense. But I thought the defense did what I wanted them to do. They bend, but they didn't break. Now, I can't say nothing about, you know, a long touchdown pass to Isabella, and we're going to get to that name later. But, uh, you know, a long pass of that or, you know, the, the guy, he, he ran for over, he had his 34 yards. He's hard to tackle. So I just want to see how they combated against that. I thought they passed the test. First and foremost, they won the game. Let me, let's say that. They won the game. This was a game. See, we got a theory that we use in college football, but we don't really use in pro football. And it's called a trap game, a looking ahead. Game where you just don't get up and you kind of like, oh, well, we got Alabama next week, but we got Vanderbilt this week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go out there and you get smacked by Vanderbilt. And then when Alabama roll in town, they roll over you too. Now, instead of you being one and one, you're 0 and two. And you lost to a team you shouldn't have lost to, just as Wisconsin. So, with that said, you, I thought, the, I, did, I wanted to see what the 49ers not have that mindset. And I thought they didn't. They got, they came in. Yes. Did they get beat up some? Absolutely. I'm not saying they didn't get beat up, but they didn't break. 
and they won. Jimmy Garoppolo, this was by far the best game from Jimmy Garoppolo from his standpoints this season. Four touchdowns for first of all, let me go through the completion. Twenty eight of thirty seven. I I can't say I can't overlook that. Why? Because I'm gonna get to his newly acquired target, Emmanuel Sanders. That's just oh my God, where have this guy been? Maybe I I thought his game went in retirement with Peyton Manning, but evidently it didn't. So so I I I just when I seen that <clears throat> I said hey. We got some. And then I don't even want to – Kenyon Drake. So these two players got traded. They traded for both of these players, right? And these two players, to me, was like their stars on offense outside of the quarterback. The quarterback did his thing. But these two guys are the players. You can't overlook that because what did we talk about the last episode? We talked about the lackluster trade deadline, how teams did not make trades, right? That's what we talked about. Well, this was a team that did make some trades to make their team better, and they looked it better for it. So if it, if you don't take anything else from what the 49ers are doing, they made themselves a legitimate Super Bowl contender with the teams they make. And they're only going to get better. Let's make no mistake. They're only going to get better. This defense didn't do all that well last night. You know what they can do when they do do well. Last night, they only had three sacks. Didn't force not one turnover. Turnovers was one of the things they was living on up to this point. They didn't even have a turnover last night. They still won the game. They still got the job done. Oh, by the way, the game was in Arizona. So they went on the road and got it done in a primetime Thursday game. When the last time we talked about the 49ers in that manner? You know what I mean? So I, I would say, I, I would say in my, in my eyes, the 49ers are still legit. And, and another thing I want to harp on. I heard, oh, the 49ers, yo, Jimmy Garoppolo ain't really that good. They just run the ball well. They make them look that good. Well, look last night. They didn't, they wasn't world beaters were running the ball. Jimmy Garoppolo showed up. This is the first time Jimmy Garoppolo really showed up this year. I admit that. But he showed up when they needed him. They said, hey, Jimmy, we can't run the ball, baby. We're going to need your arm. You can't just be a GQ uh, model. We need you back here to do something for us, Jimmy. And he showed up. He got the job done. All right? So, to answer your question, absolutely the 49ers are a legit Super Bowl contender and put some respect on their name. Yeah, yeah. I agree with Drink on this one. 49ers are legitimate at this point, being 8-0. We can't overlook that, even though, it was a, even though it was a game against a division rival in the Cardinals who aren't that great. But they're not as bad as I thought they were. I thought they played reasonably well last night against the 49ers. I like what I saw from Kyler Murray. Dare I say, I like what I saw from Cliff Kingsbury from time to time. Got to give him some credit. Uh, another guy that came from out with the Cardinals, despite the fact that George Kittle stiff-armed him in the next week, I thought Buda Baker did a good job at safety back there. He was flashing all over the field. Me and Cody talked about this from time to time. He made several plays out there for that Cardinals defense. So the Cardinals, I think um, we got to put a little bit of respect on their name and in turn – Give the 49ers a little bit more respect because you mentioned a Thursday night division rival on the road. Could have been a trap game. They get behind 7-0. They had a little bit, they had some problems defending the newly acquired Kenyon Drake, who looked very good last night. I don't know what he's been doing for Miami for years, but praise the Lord, he's out of there and move on and get some stuff done for you. Uh, the 49ers, 
I was just gonna say, have you have you seen that Miami team? Would you go down there and put out for that Miami team? I'm just saying. We don't know if he was putting out or not. I, one of them situations where could you give him the ball? I mean, I, I don't remember Kenyon Drake ever being used that extensively. Nineteen touches. When's the last time Miami gave him the ball nineteen times in a game? We just we don't know. But look, the 49ers, this was my one question with the 49ers, even after they were 7-0. and It was the quarterback position. Did you have the guy back there that could not only manage the game, but do some things for you when your running game, although the running game with Matt Breida was pretty solid last night. Tevin Coleman had his struggles. But when the running game is somewhat stunted, can you do things from the quarterback position in the pocket? And it goes back to the trade deadline. Not not right on the trade deadline, but a trade they made prior to the deadline, getting that number one receiver in Emmanuel Sanders, and boy did he make a difference last night. Seven catches, 112 yards. I mean Patrick Peterson. I I don't know what he was doing last night. There seemed to be several occasions where Emmanuel Sanders was just giving him the business. Maybe that's why the Cardinals couldn't. Maybe that's why the Cardinals trade uh, held on him. Maybe there were some teams out there who were like, you know what? We seen Patrick Patrick Peterson. Maybe he's slipping a little bit. And it certainly looked to be some slippage last night with the way Emmanuel Sanders was running around him. I would, I would, I think that suspension had something to do with it. I, I don't know how to say Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But that to me, the 49ers, when you look at what they can do with running the football, you look at how formidable they are from a defensive standpoint with that fearsome defensive line in particular. A lot of guys up there that can get to the quarterback. The one missing ingredient to me was could they do it through the air consistently? You get Emmanuel Sanders in there to supplement some young guys you have, whether it's Debo Samuel, whether it's Dante Pettis. Again, George Kittle from the tight end position. He's one of the best out there right now. And the answer last night, yes, they can get it done through the air. They're a legitimate contender in the NFC. The thing I would caution us on is I would not say they're a favorite by any stretch of the imagination. Because we gotta, we got to remember how crowded the NFC is with all the competitive teams out there, starting with Green Bay, starting with New Orleans when we look at Aaron Rodgers and we look at a healthy Drew Brees now. And even, even further down the line, even within their own division, can't forget about Seattle, can't forget about Philadelphia and Dallas, even though they're scuffling a little bit. There's a whole lot of teams out there in the NFC. Minnesota, a whole lot of teams contending. It's not like the AFC where it's the Patriots. And then everybody else. So that's one thing to be cautious on. That's fair. And then you can also throw the Rams and even their NFC West. You have both Seattle and Los Angeles uh, sitting two and three games back from them, respectively. So very competitive. Yeah, but you guys most hit on everything I saw from that game. I was a little bit impressed with Kyler Murray. I hadn't gotten to see him much this year, but uh, he seemed to be making some pretty good decisions. And he, he, I mean, he played, to me, not quite like a rookie. I wouldn't say he played amazing, but he definitely struck me as someone playing a little bit smarter than a rookie. I expect you to see a lot of him just, just flailing around and running all over the place, running from all them first-round picks and Bosa's and all them dudes chasing him. But he, he seemed to be pretty smart about his decisions. He didn't throw any interceptions. He didn't make any real horrible decision he had one bad sack I think but you know for the most part I was I was impressed with how well he played and again those two guys you traded for man Kenyon Drake give me all them all that work you know 19 total touches for over 160 yards and then Emmanuel Sanders you could make the argument the 49ers don't win this game without him I mean seven catches for 112 yards and he was in rhythm I mean there were a couple plays where Garoppolo uh, hit him as soon as he came out of a route right on his break yeah, and to yeah, and to that point right there, there was a corner route we referenced on the left side of the field at one point 
there. Garoppolo threw the ball before Sanders even got out of his break, and the timing on that play was just impeccable and remarkable from the standpoint that Sanders has been there, what, a week and a, a, week and a half, not even, something second like that? Game. Yeah, his second game. He was just traded away last week, and they already have that sort of timing. That That's incredible. And to your point, Drink, you mentioned where Emmanuel Sanders has been. He's been in the he's been with the Denver Broncos and that sorry pack of quarterbacks that they didn't had through the years. So make no mistake, I told you when the trade went down. I say Emmanuel Sanders. I've seen him many times this year. He's explosive. He's fully recovered from the Achilles injury. He can play. Get but he, and he's in a situation right now with a competent quarterback that can do things for him. Yeah, and one to to, to add on to what Coda said, I I think if you're a Cardinals fan. I know a lot of Cardinals fans was like, okay, we drafted this short quarterback. This dude better be worth the squeeze. He didn't, we took him number one. We drafted Rosen last year, and we threw him to the wolves. So all this nonsense that we're doing right now better come out to something. After watching the Cardinals play last night, I, I got to say, I think they got something cooking in Arizona. Would they be – I mean, because at the end of the day, when you look at Arizona, I got to give them credit. They're not the Dolphins or the Bengals. They're not, you know, they're not the Saints. You know, they're not the Saints or the Patriots or anything. So they're right there in the middle. And that you can that's pretty good for a first-year head coach and a first-year quarterback and a very and a young team. So you have to give I I, I they earned my respect last uh last night. I would say that because I thought 49 was gonna boat race me. I thought that first half was gonna be close. And then the 49ers was going to come out there with the, the old poop scoop tootsie roll and get it done. And that's what it was going to be. But, you know, the game was more competitive than, than I thought. And I just want to say, I got to get take my hats off to Arizona because they could be the Dolphins right now. And no one would blame them for that because you got a first year this and a first year that and a young this and a young that. And that would be the excuse that we hear all over the NFL. Oh, this is the first year. Oh, they're very young. Oh, they got to learn. They're still competitive. They're still playing. So I just wanted to make sure I threw that note out there. Yeah, one and one note uh, to compliment what uh, Cody was saying about uh, Kyler Murray. He doesn't. He doesn't appear. The game doesn't appear too fast for him. It looks like he's uh, highly composed out there, as in comparison to what we've seen so far in relief from a Dwayne Haskins. Because you can definitely see the difference out there between what Murray's doing out there in the pocket, running around, and then Dwayne Haskins. It looked like he's playing on fast forward or something. And to, and Haskins will get a chance this weekend. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But that was a great point you mentioned about Kyler Murray. Yeah, a couple of just little tidbits before we move on here. Uh, we talked about Buda Baker yesterday, for uh, last night, for that Arizona defense. He did have 13 total tackles, two tackles for loss, and three passes defended. He was all over the place, and the uh, George Kittle stiff arm was the only kind of asterisk on his evening. Uh, I was a little disappointed with Patrick Peterson. He didn't look all that great last night. He he made a couple plays, but a lot of them, a lot of them he was getting burned, and he was kind of looking a little lost, and you got to wonder if Arizona is maybe slightly regretting not trading him at the deadline. But uh, about all I had for that, yeah, yeah one, one more a one more injury note that we didn't bring up for the 49ers going forward is that they did lose Quan Alexander last night, one of their linebackers, to a torn pectoral. I think that matters. I think that's something we got to pay attention to to that linebacking core because we saw last night they were a little vulnerable against the run, 
We know you gotta that defensive line is all well and good, but you gotta have good linebackers back there to uh, to complement the work they're doing in the run game. And hopefully they got some guys that can come in and kind of fill that role. If not, it could be troublesome troublesome against teams with good run games. All right, guys, let's take it back to Major League Baseball, where the World Series has concluded. The Washington Nationals beat the Houston Astros 6-2 to in Game 7, clinching their first World Series title in franchise history. NLDS hero Howie Kendrick's home run off of Will Harris in the 7th proved to be the difference after the Astros had built an early 2-0 lead. So, Jay, what are your thoughts on Game 7 in the series as a whole? Game 7, best two words in sports. It was interesting how the game played out. I thought from the Astros' perspective, Early on, the game went as well as you could hope for. Let me say this about Zach Greinke. Uh, in regards to his postseason performances this season, that was the best he looked. He was in complete command of this game through six innings. His ability to locate, his, his command was absolutely pinpoint. He was working both sides of the strike zone. Had, his, had every off-speed pitch working in the book. It was an absolute, it was an absolute masterful performance through six innings. But then you make one you make one mistake, and I don't even know I wouldn't even characterize it that much of a mistake. It was a change up, it was low. He didn't bury it enough, and Anthony Rendon, a great hitter for the national, he took advantage, he sent it out of the ballpark. At that point he had cut the score to two to one. And Zach Grinke walks Juan Soto. AJ Hench he goes to his bullpen, he goes to Will Harris, and the rest is history. The bullpen couldn't get it done. We understand that. Offensively though, Houston Astros were a bit of a disappointment yet again. In the home games in this series, their situational hitting with runners in scoring position has been nothing short of abysmal. And that was, that was one of the big differences in this series. And I would, I would say hitting with runners in scoring position pretty much decided this series. It seemed that in, in Houston, the Nationals, their situational hitting was way better than Houston's. And in Washington, D.C., it was the Astros who came up with timely hits and the Nationals couldn't get anything, thing going in those situations. And that was the difference. On this particular on this particular occasion, you look at Max Scherzer and what he was able to do for the Nationals, giving them five innings. Only a couple of days prior, he couldn't even dress himself, so he came out there through five innings, but he gave up seven hits and four walks. So there was traffic galore out there. The Astros had so many opportunities with multiple men on base, and time and time again, they could not take advantage. They were only able to build a build a two nothing lead. And it wasn't enough as the bullpen came out there and just couldn't flat get it done. Uh, but look, the Nationals, you got to give these guys credit. I think it's it's an upset. Uh, I believe since 1990, as far as the odds makers and all that different type of stuff, I think they caught they had it as the biggest World Series upset since 1990. I, I don't put a whole lot of stock into that. I think the Nationals were an absolutely great team. If you look at what they did uh, from May 22nd at that 19:31 start. The Astros and Nationals were the best two teams in baseball from then on. So I'm not, I think it is an upset. I don't think it's a major upset. I'm not, I'm not shocked that the Nationals won this series because coming in, the major thing the Astros had above pretty much every team and especially who the two teams they beat in the postseason prior to the World Series, the Rays and the National, the Rays and the Yankees rather was a starting pitching. But we look at what the Washington Nationals brought into this series. And the Nationals starting pitching, as we found out, was just as good, if not deeper. When you look at what they had with Max Scherz and Steven Strasburg and on down the line to Anibal Sanchez and Patrick Corbin, who we can't forget about Corbin last uh, in the World Series. 
throwing three scoreless innings in relief. That mattered. I was surprised by that as the Astros, they put up four runs against them in five innings in game four. It was a, it was an odd series. The road, the road team continued to have success. The road team won every game in this series. That was somewhat surprising considering uh, the home field advantage to some degree that both teams enjoy. But man, great. I thought it was a great series. I thought it was a fantastic postseason altogether. And the Nationals are well deserved. They absolutely earned this World Series. They they deserve a lot of credit. They deserve our respect. So so many great performances. You talked about Harry Kendrick in the opening. Can't forget what he was able to do in the National League Division Series against the Los Angeles Dodgers with that grand slam that pretty much catapulted them uh, into the NLCS against the Cardinals. And it was just it was just kind of fitting that it was his his big swing that gave the Nationals the lead last night. So, so many impressive performances all around by Washington. And to be honest with you, the Astros, they just weren't good enough, despite the star power that their offense possessed. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> first off, I want to say, you know, congratulations to the Washington Nationals. All right. Hey, they did. They got there. They got the job done. Congratulations. They're the champs. I'll let your boy for next year. Um, with that said, I want let me hit on the series first. This series was odd. It was already odd because the road team was dominating the series, right? But what what I can I like to compare stuff. So what I compared this this series to was the 2016 NBA Finals, where like none of these games was close. They was for the most part. These was pretty, like, spoken for games. Like, when the team won, they won. It wasn't no real drama. I guess you could say game seven gave us somewhat of some drama. But the first six games was kind of like like one side of the fence, one team to the other. Um, and like, like Jay said earlier, with all the star power in this game, I just thought it would have been more drama with the star power of each team. You got to think, you got the best from the National League, you got the best from the American League, you would think you have more drama in the world. See, this is what you tune in for when you're looking at that final series. I don't care what sport it is. If the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, the World Series, the um, the, the Hockey Finals, whatever you're looking at, you want to see drama. You want to see, like, something. Nobody wants to see a sweep or a blowout. I found that to be kind of odd in these in these finals. Um, nonetheless, it was what it was. I, I can't, no one could do anything about the product what it ended up being. With that said, I got to talk about game seven. I got on here Wednesday and I was very vocal about my stance on this. I said, you have to, it's no game eight. So each team, if they find themselves in a situation, the managers just got to go for the gusto. Like, you can't, you can't do no wrong. It's game seven. Either you're going to win the game or you're going to lose it. It's no game after this. I don't care who you got to do, grab, who, what you got to do. I felt like, just as uh, Jay said earlier, the Astros definitely did not take advantage of the, of the situation they were in. That was for sure. They was hitting the ball all over the place and had two runs to show for it. That ain't it. That just ain't going to cut it. I don't care. If we was playing Little League, and you playing the Little League team for Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that ain't going to cut it. You got to drive this in. You have to score. 
This is the grand stage, folks. That's treated as such. This ain't Wednesday midway through the season. That's one thing. The second thing is I don't understand what and I'm a and I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna throw this over to Jay because he I want him to explain this to me. I don't understand why the manager did not empty this kitchen seat that I was talking about. I got it. It's certain strategies in baseball. But if you're going to pull Grinky out like the way you pulled him out, yes, I got it. He went he went longer than he usually goes. But this was game seven. I think Grinky knew it was game seven too. So maybe in his mind he was like, yo, I want to go farther. The man gave up a home run and a walk. I got it. But come on, man. We know the temperature in the room. Give him another crack. I, my my mom always used to say this. I'm going to give you enough rope to hang yourself. And I feel like the manager should have gave Grinkin enough rope to hang himself. If he get, <coughs> if another run get drove in, now the game is 2-2. Okay, pull him out. You're still winning the game after the home run and the walk. You're still winning. Maybe not the best situation, but you're still winning. You still have your ace on the mound. Unless he's like, hey, hey, uh, Skipper, I ain't got it today, man. Like, I don't know. I just ain't got it. Gone pull me. I don't know how that conversation went, but I'm pretty confident it didn't go like that. The, the, you know, the manager came out and said, hey, you're looking a little weak sauce out here. All right? You need some water? What's, what's going on out here? You know, and he pulled him. And then you pull him, and let's be honest here, that bullpen, I could probably get my daughter to go out here and throw more heat. Like, I understand he's going to get up here and he's going to have these stats. Hey, well, so-and-so was this good, so-and-so was that good, but so-and-so wasn't that good in game seven. And that's what matters the most. You can tell me how good somebody was in the regular season, but if you don't get the job done in game seven, what does it all matter? It don't. It don't. It really don't. Because once you take that Ella Ruski to the crib, that's all people remember. You took the L. So that song, hey, ask Clayton Kershaw how people feel about him. I bet you they ain't saying, oh, yeah, this guy, he is knocking out the park. Nope. They said this dude is the choke artist of the year. Why? Because when you need him most, he ain't there. So I, I don't want to hear about the stats before. I'm talking about when they needed it most, they, I just felt like the manager did not, he did not take the temperature of the room and adjust to it. He kind of panicked. He pulled Grinky, then get these bombs out of the, the bullpen. Yeah, that's right. I said bombs because you ain't going to tell me how good they were because I've seen them get blasted in game seven. The most important game. They got blasted. Holla at your boy. They got blasted. Every last one of them. Smoke check. Get up out of here. You know, back to the farm league. I don't know. But that's what happened. All right? That, yeah, that's right. I said Because mm -hmm. then you got then you got a cold-blooded killer on the bench. I got a cold-blooded killer back there ready to whip something. And he don't even see the mom. You got to explain to me why Garrett Cole did not see the mom. Yo, and and I want to know, because I asked you this earlier, is Garrett Cole coming back to be a Houston Astro? I think not. So why not go out there and maximize your opportunity with him? And 
people got the nerve to say, well, hey, Gary Cole, you know, he, he didn't handle himself well after the game. Well, I don't blame him. Yo, the, the guy just played his last game and took an L over there when he had a chance to be wearing a young ring, a World Series, holding up the trophy. We are the champions. No, that was Matt Scherzer. That's what that was. That wasn't Gary Cole. That was Matt Scherzer. So he had a right to be upset about it. But I want you to explain to the listeners what happened last night, what they seen last night. Hey, 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 hey don't, don't worry about it. I'm here for you. I'm here to educate you on the matters of baseball. Just, just, hey, listen, just as you are here to educate me on the matters of MMA and the fight game. So let's, let's, let's make no mistake about that. Listen, I just want to go to your point uh, real quick about Clayton Kershaw. I thought it was funny. Uh, th- th- you're right. They're not, they're not saying he's knocking it out of the park. They're saying he's getting knocked out of the park. So that's, but again, that's another point for another day. Listen, I'm, listen, I understand and I want to preface what I'm about to say. But I think we got to remember, I think it's very easy and not saying you're guilty of this right now, but I think it's very easy for people to second guess after the fact when a decision is made. I'm going to be honest with you. I had no problem with the move A.J. Hinch made in taking out Zach Grinke at that juncture of the, of the game. And well, hold on. No, no, hold on. I want to make it clear. When this happened, I said something when it happened. That's, I didn't yeah. wait to it. I, I right. said something that happened. Right, and that, yeah, and that's why I said I'm not talking about you. But they, you know, there's a lot of people that they can say what they can be on board with everything, and then oh, turn around 20 minutes later, be oh, this was some nonsense. I can't believe they did that. This dude fired this dude. You know, there's people that really, honestly, you know, and they're they're out there just trolls everywhere. They say, oh, fire AJ. Are you kidding me? Yeah, the Astros won a hundred games. The last three years, and they won a World Series two years ago. They was one game aware this way. It's just ridiculous. But listen, this, here's what here's what happened. Zach Greinke again was in an absolute rhythm through six innings. He gets Adam Eaton out to start the seventh, and then look, th- this is this is how the game works. It can turn. With, and then again, again, it goes back to the offense. And I'm gonna bring the offense back into the picture real quick because I didn't I didn't remember this point until now. Zach Greinke gives up the home run to Anthony Rendon. It's two to one at that point. And that, that to me, if you take Zach Grinky out, the only, the only thing that I can argue with A.J. Hinch, even a little bit, is if you want to bring Garrett Cole in, you have to do it right then. You can't do it after he walks Juan Soto. Because not only now are you bringing in Garrett Cole in a relief, in a relief appearance that he has never had any part of in his major league career. And, oh, by the way, only done it one time in college. So it's just something he hasn't done. But then you bring him in to the to a middle of an inning where he's starting out from the stretch as opposed from the windup. That matters. It's a subtle nuance, but I do think it matters. And I do think A.J. Hinch didn't want to put him in that situation, especially considering considering that, that Will Harris is not a bum. Let, let's, let's, let's be clear about this. Will Harris is a good pitcher. He's a good reliever. And there were so many occasions – not only regular season, postseason, where he came in in the middle of innings and he was like a fireman, putting out fires, had a big hose, just spraying it at the catcher's mitt, putting up strikeouts, getting ground balls, and getting the Astros out of trouble time and time again. Listen, I understand. I understand. You can look at the results. He didn't get it done. But, again, I would remind you, the pitch that Howie Kendrick hit was a cutter down and away, and he hit it off the right field of foul pole. 
I mean, do we do, can, do we understand how close this was to being a strike and not being and not being a factor in this game? That that that's the margin there. That's and if we want to be critical of Will Harris, that's fine. He didn't get it done. I'm sure he would. I'm sure he'd give you that. I'm sure he'd tell you after the game. Yeah, I didn't get it done. I let the team down. That that's fine. But in that moment, AJ Hinch, in my opinion, even and I'm talking about once Juan Soto was on base. In that situation, I believe his best option was Will Harris, and he didn't get it done. Again, if you want to go to Garrett Cole after Rendon hits the home run, so he had that, in essence, that's still a clean inning. He can start out of the windup because there's no men on base at that point. But I would remind you of this. We cannot forget game one when Juan Soto took Garrett Cole deep to left center field up on the train track. So we don't know. Maybe that was playing in A.J. Hinch's mind. Hey, Juan Soto, he can handle the heat. He just took my best pitcher deep in the first game. So I'm going to give Zach Greinke a chance because he's had better luck with him. But unfortunately, Zach Greinke puts him on base. And again, at that point, I think going with Will Harris is the right move. But, and again, if you that to me, that's the, that's the critical moment that I think is worth arguing the most. Everything after that, it, it's kind of, when you look at Garrett Cole, A.J. Hinch wanted to use him in a situation where – he would have the opportunity to close the game out with a lead. And I'm going to go back to the offense. I look at the Astros' offense. They needed to take advantage of their opportunities early on in the game. If they'd have had a bigger lead in the seventh inning, let's just say it was 4 nothing. Let's just say it was 4 nothing. And Zach Grinke walks Juan Soto. He gives up the home run, walks Juan Soto. He doesn't come out of the game at that point, I don't think, because he has more, he has more rope to hang himself with, as you said, because at that point, if Juan Soto hits a ball out of the park, it's four to was it four to two, or if Kendrick hits it out, it's four to three. So you still have a lead. I put that on the Astros' offense. I don't put it on the manager. All right, guys, let's turn to the association where Wednesday offered plenty of fireworks. Among them was a regulation battle in D.C. It totaled three hundred and seventeen points, a seven-foot fight in Philly, and a tough start for the Golden State Warriors has turned into a full-blown nightmare. So, Jay, let's start with you. What development most captured your attention from Wednesday night's NBA action? You know, I think the I think the stuff in in Philadelphia that was kind of extracurricular. Of course, I find that interesting, but I'm gonna leave I'm gonna leave that to our fight expert, and I'm gonna go with some on the court stuff that happened in Beam in Beamtown in Boston, where the Boston Celtics took care of the Milwaukee Bucks, one sixteen one hundred five. I thought that game was really telling uh, for for a couple reasons. Uh, number one, we look at that matchup last year in the Eastern Conference semifinals. The Milwaukee Bucks won that series in five games after the Celtics took the opener. And I just thought that was that was a very interesting game early on in the season because it showed what it showed me is we got to take the Boston Celtics very seriously in the Eastern Conference. And ultimately, we may have to extend our top two thinking in the East with Philadelphia and Milwaukee. And we may, we may have to slide Boston up a little bit with how they looked in that game. You got to look at Kemba Walker, who uh, replaced Kyrie Irving in that backcourt, dropped 32 points, 14 of 15 from the free throw line. And we, we talked about how we believe, we don't believe he's as talented as Kyrie Irving. We don't. But we believe he's ultimately, he could ultimately be a better fit with his personality, his ability to play off the ball somewhat, his ability, his, and his need or lack thereof, of needing the ball on every possession, as we think Kyrie Irving does from time to time. 
But you look at other guys in that line, you look at Jason Tatum, what he was able to do, put up 25 points. And I know we've been crit- we've been somewhat critical of Gordon Hayward, but look, 21 points, 9 for 17, 10 boards and 7 assists. I mean, that dare I say that's more of the Gordon Hayward we expected when he originally signed with the Boston Celtics. He's now two full years uh, recovered from the leg injury. So there's something we got to pay attention to. Got to play with. Got to pay attention to the Celtics. I don't think Jalen Brown even played in that game. So the Celtics, there's a lot to like on that team. I think the collection of parts, I think it can fit together quite well. Even Marcus Smart out there dropping 19 points. I mean, my goodness, what are we doing there? Marcus Smart gonna stop? Gonna start swapping threes out there? It's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough for teams. So I really like what I saw from the from the Celtics. And the Bucks, Giannis and Middleton, they combined for 48 points. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bring this up again. Eric Bledsoe, I mean, this guy was a no-show. Seven points, three for eight. On the season, this guy is averaging 10.5 points. He's shooting 36% from the floor. And we know from the three-point line, he's nothing special, 21%. And again, I bring up Malcolm Brogdon. And again, he put up another double-double. It was either last night or the night before, 21 points, 13 rebounds. He's still averaging 20, uh, 20 points, 10 assists, somewhere in that range. He's been nothing short of outstanding. He can shoot flat out, shoot the basketball. I just look at Eric Bledsoe and the Milwaukee Bucks, and Bledsoe has to be their third guy, in my belief. He has to be their third guy, and he's got to be more consistent for the Milwaukee Bucks to ultimately get where they want to go to the NBA Finals. So, yeah, man, Eric Bledsoe, like you said earlier, not to harp on him, but you know, Eric Bledsoe is coming up shorter than a midget under a bump bed. I need him to do better, all right? I don't know what's going on with these professional athletes, but it's like, hey, I'm going to work hard, then I'm going to get paid, and then I'm going to stop working. That's that's a philosophy I'm saying. Eric Bledsoe was doing doing his thing, and then he got paid, and he stopped working. I wish I could do that. Pay me on Friday. I'll see you again in two Fridays. That, I wish I could do do that. But I can't. But a professional athlete can do that. Enough on that. You got to do better, man. Like, what is your problem? I don't know. I want to hit on the Warriors and the Nuggets. I want to hit on both of these teams. When we're talking about the trans- transformation so far of what we've seen thus far in the season. Hey, man. Look here. Somebody signed the alarms. The Warriors in trouble. They are in trouble. Do you know the Warriors' best player right now is Draymond Green? Hey, that ain't going to get it done. That ain't, ain't going to get it done. I don't care. You can give me whatever stat you want to, but that ain't going to get it done with Draymond Green. Draymond Green is your best player. And the Nuggets. I'm a little upset with the Nuggets because we all thought the Nuggets was going to be better. But they wasn't. I mean, but they aren't right now. I don't know what's going on with the Joker because I watched him the other night flailing around, making turnovers instead of assists, and then he over there looking all goofy about it. Look, man, it's America. You leave that Euro crap overseas. You better take it serious. You over here looking like it's a doggone birthday party. You're having a good time after you've lost your team the game. You keep on one of them fans going to hit you with a stone cold stun. Keep that mess up. But what I really want to talk about is the, the Thriller in Manila Part 5 that we've seen pop off in Philly. All right? I have... <laughs> In in my luxurious 33-year lifespan, most fights I see with guys that big usually require throwing a punch. Yet, I've seen these guys, and it looks like they were square dancing. 
I don't know if that's what they were trying to accomplish, but it looks like what they were doing. And I find it funny, both of those guys got suspended, but the guy that really should have got suspended that was really getting the action in, Ben Simmons, got away scot-free after we seen a blatant chokehold as he's dragging Carl Anthony Towns across the paint like a three-second in the key. So, first of all, Adam Silver, I don't know what's going on with your, with your punishment, but that's neither here nor there. But I will tell you this, what I liked about that whole thing and, and what I took from that was, hey, man, the, the, the 76ers had some fight, man. Even though they was blowing the Timberwolves out in the game, and you know how I feel about the Timberwolves. You heard what I said last show. Do you know, even though they was blowing the Timberwolves out, they still was engaged enough to get a fan something. Because, you know, the fans was, like, probably in there. They was happy their team was winning, but someone was probably falling asleep because this game got boring because they was blowing them out. And then we get the old do si the old foot-to-foot out there, and then Joel Embiid going to walk off like he really was ha- handing out haymakers like he in the UFC. And then none of that really transpired. You had a WWE move, Ben Simmons, and that was pretty much it. But what I got out of that was I like how – how Joe M B got that, that fan base crazy, right? He got a wild. And I, I'm a big believer in this, that if, even if the 76ers was losing this game, he had that fan base so out of their mind that it would have pumped that team up to come back. Now, MB was ejected, so who knows? But I, I just like that it's a story around MB. MB want to be the bad guy. And it seems as, the, as now he's embracing that story. He's like, okay, you don't like me? Fine. This is my team. Hey, I'm the best big man in the game, Carl Anthony Towns. So if you want this sauce, I'm going to give it to you. Now, which one you want, barbecue or sweet and sour? Because I'm going to give it to you because you act like you want some nuggets. So that's what that's what happened. And Carl Anthony Towns, in his defense, he's like, I'm tired of people calling me soft, man. I'm Carl Anthony Towns. I'm good, too. So he had to defend himself. You know, instead of defending himself, he getting his face dragged in the paint by Ben Simmons. But so far, I have to say, that was the most action-packed thing I've seen in our season. Now, back to a real NBA take. I want to uh, bounce back to what you said about the Bucks and Celtics, the actual game. Because Philly, that Philadelphia and Minnesota game went just the way it should have went. A blowout by Philadelphia. By Philadelphia. Nothing else needs to be said. Um, the Celtics, impressed. One word I used to um, sum up their game, impressed by the Celtics. Because I just knew the Bucks was going to steamroll on this one. I just, once again, and I, we said this in the, in the uh, past episode, you know, I think Jason Tatum going to be an all-star this year. But with all that said, I still didn't think Boston was going to be able to keep up with Milwaukee. Not only did they, they came back, wait, hold on, let me, let me backtrack. They were asleep for the first half. Halftime came. They finally woke up and took a shower. Then third quarter, they come in and they say, all right, boys, let's do it. And they came back and they pretty much, in the second half, they dominated the game. This is Milwaukee. If a Milwaukee team, I might add, which was a top, what, top five team in defense last year, a top five team in offense last year, or remarkable team, well, I wanna I wanna back up to one of the points you made earlier about Malcolm Brogdon. 
now we're seeing the effects of losing him in free agency and keep and signing Eric Bledsoe to a longer contract. See, people got it messed up because Eric Bledsoe, because he was first team all defense, people was like, yeah, he, yeah, he gonna be the cornerstone of the future here. We going this guy gonna be good. And now Eric Bledsoe out here putting up middle school stats, and now they're like, man, maybe we should have killed Malcolm Brown. You see what he's doing down there for the Pacers, man, he actually doing something. We should have kept him. I think what we seen the other night is a trend for Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee's gonna really be in trouble. It, I might have to agree with you. I might have. It might be the 76ers and the Celtics in the top two teams. If Milwaukee don't get it together, they might be in trouble. They really might be in trouble, folks. I know it's early in the season and it's a hot take right now, but I'll take that. They might really be in trouble. Um, the Rockets and the Wizards. Harden puts up almost 60 points, and they win by eight points. That is troubling to me. Did you see this NBA All-Star game? Did you see this? I did not have the pleasure of watching this. I don't even know what it It, it, it do look like an All-Star game score. I, you know what? I bet Mike Tantoni was so pleased with this game. There wasn't a lick of defense in it. Hey, it was just what the doctor ordered. It was. Let me tell you, he was loving it. He was like, defense? Leave that in the locker room. We're talking about defense? Look. I don't know how your star player scored almost 60 points and you went, that's the Wizards. Listen to me, folks. We're talking about the Wizards, not the Clippers, not the Lakers, not the 70, the Wizards. The John Wallace Wizards. John Wallace Wizards. Yo, outside of Bradley Bill, I think their second best player is Isaiah Thomas coming off a minute restriction. This is ridiculous. What are we doing? What are we talking about? This is ridiculous. So the Rockets, uh, you know, whatever. I don't even understand how they play. How your key player scores that many points and you win by point. Literally, that is, you know, that's some NBA G League crap. So yeah, overall, man, like the transformation that I want, yeah, I wanted to hit on was, yo, that that game. I, I like that out of MB. A lot of people, I know you, Jay, you wasn't too fond of what happened in that game, but. Me, myself, I loved it because MB, that's what they need in that. That's a young team. They need something to motivate them, and I thought that's what motivated them. I love it when a player get a fan, get, get a fan their money's worth, and that's what he did, and that's what I take from the NBA season thus far. Yeah, and to, yeah, and to your point about the thrill in Manila or whatever, I call it the seven-foot fight, even though you mentioned there wasn't much fighting going on other than Ben Simmons <laughs> having it. That's the one thing when I watched the video, that's the one thing that immediately caught my eye because there wasn't a whole lot going on really between Embiid and Towns after that initial shove. And then next thing you know, Carl Anthony Towns is on the ground and literally tapping the, tapping the floor as if to say, yo, stop choking me, man. Like, come on now. So, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, from my perspective, I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge fan of the extracurricular that we get with Joe and MB. And that's to take nothing away from him, his greatness as a player, because we know that we, we would be foolish. It'd be foolish to me to sit here and say he, he doesn't have talent. He can't play just because his personality isn't necessarily what I would want. I'm not going to take nothing away from, from him as a player. I just think there's a little bit too much extra going on with MB. But as far as what he does on the court and his performance, only issue I got with him in that regard is durability. Can you play a full season? 
can you play seven game series in the playoffs? That's my only question. I think I think that's the only that's the only fair question we would have at this point in terms of his on court performance. But other than that, that that that's my biggest question. But look, Philadelphia, they look awfully impressive right now. They're undefeated, even though well, me and you, we both agree that Minnesota, despite their three and zero start, we don't expect them. We didn't expect that to continue, and most certainly did not. And again, and look, the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, it's it's about a wrap. We don't know how things are going to progress there. I, I would go ahead and uh, I would go ahead and get D'Angelo Russell out of there. I don't think there's much. Look, there's no chance of the Golden State Warriors making the playoffs at this point, because you mentioned Draymond Green being their best player. I mean, I'm sorry. I got I got a lot of love and respect for Draymond Green, but he can't score the ball. He can't score the ball. He's not going to come out there and stop and start dropping 20 points a game, which is what you need. Matter of fact, you need like 30, 40 a game because all the all the juice they've lost in the past what four, five, six months with KD gone, Clay down, and now Steph with the hand injury. I mean, my God, that was a ESPN graphic talking about the last six games for the Warriors. And you had a KD injury, you had a Clay injury, and then you had a couple of young blowouts to start the season. Then you had, oh, they finally get a win against the Pelicans, and now Steph ain't got, he got, he down to one hand. So it's it's some trying times out there in Golden State. Um, uh, good luck to Steve Kerr out there. Probably the first time he may actually have to go out there and coach consistently. He don't have, he can't just sit on the sideline and be like, all right, guys, y'all got this. We got all, we got three of the best players in the world plus Draymond. We can do it. I just sit up there and drink some Kool Aid or whatever. So, but you know, hey, it's gonna be tough out there. They're gonna be on the lottery. We'll see how it goes. It could be. It could listen when they get all the guys back. Could be a quick turnaround. We don't know. But and then you mentioned my little uh, 317 points in D.C. or Houston, wherever the game was played. We don't know. May have been the All Star facility with the way they were scoring the ball. My biggest takeaway from that game is my what is Bradley Beal doing in Washington D.C. I'm still I'm still don't I still don't know why he signed a contract out there. They're not going to be competitive. I I don't know why the Wizards wouldn't move off of him, especially when you consider you can't move John Wall on his massive contract. So look, Bradley Beal, man, 46 points. It ain't James Harden, 59, but I mean, 14 of 20, remarkably efficient out there. What what a wild what a wild night of basketball on Wednesday. That was that was something special. Had had a little bit of everything. Hey, you asked you asked what Bradley Bill doing there. He said he wanted some discount tickets to go watch the Nationals. Well, he gonna get them after that. Contract he signed. I don't think he needs a discount. But uh, you ask him why he's there. I think that is exactly why that man's still there. He is getting paid, but uh, at least he's making use out of his contract, unlike some other guards that <clears throat> Washington employs. Uh, anywho, uh, just a couple of quick uh, notes before we move out of the NBA topic. Uh, talk about the Warriors. Uh, Seth Curry did break his hand. He's going to be out at least three months after surgery on that hand today, suffered in the third quarter, took a hard fall, taking a charge. Uh, Warriors were down 43-14 to 14 after the first quarter in that game, so they've had some rough games to start. Uh, the Nuggets got Michael Porter Jr. back for his first game. He scored 15 points and actually led the pretty pathetic Nuggets um, game last night uh, of all their scores of 15 points in just 21 minutes and, and a very crowded West. You have to think if Michael Porter Jr. is that difference maker that everyone thought he could be a couple years or so ago without before all the health issues piled up. Could be a difference maker for him. We'll see. But uh, he was out all last year with the back surgery and 
you know, 14 overall pick, finally making his debut. And finally, at some point, guys, we're going to have to get into Kendrick Nunn, the heat of this keeps up. Uh, Kendrick Nunn became the, after his fifth game, became the third highest scoring player in the last 25 years, with the exception of Kevin Durant and Jerry Stackhouse in his first five games. And um, he, as a fun fact, did have a contract with the Golden State Warriors last year in July 2018, but he was waived three months later, and the Heat snatched him up. So, but the Warriors could uh, use his services right now. So, ouch! Gotta, yep, gotta, gotta keep your contender uh, oiled, and let the Warriors let one get away from him here. But it is early, so we'll see if this pans out. Miami, that's another team we got to pay attention to, perhaps. Uh, they got a lot of young talent down there. You mentioned what Kendrick Nunn's doing. Also, the young man, Tyler Hero. Don't forget, Jimmy Butler is a straight dog. I'm, I'm, I, I, still, I still think at some point that's going to come back to bite the 76ers. All right, fellas, let's move to week 10 in college football. We're just five days away from the first official college football playoff rankings of 2019. After the weekend's dust settles, we're going to know who's likely representing the SEC West and if the Pac-12 can keep their playoff hopes alive. Now, the committee releases their rankings Tuesday, but we're not going to make you wait that long here to drink a wisdom. So we'll start with you, Drink. Who's your first four playoff teams and who's on the outside looking in? Well, you know, let's see what we got here, you know. The listeners should know, if you're watching the college football, you know what's about to come to you. Hot and fresh off the press, my top six, and it's the best. So I got one. All right, I got the LSU Tigers up to this point. You can't argue with the resume. The resume is pretty stout of any top ten team you want to – I'll put that resume against any of them. It's pretty stout. Number two, I'm going to go with the Buckeyes. As an overall team, it is no team in the nation has been more impressive than the Ohio State Buckeyes in all three phases of the game. Number three, I'm going to go with my Crimson Tide. You know what it is? Best best wide receiver core in the nation. And uh, the defense is getting better, so I'm going to go with them. And Clemson Tigers, as good as we think that the Clemson Tigers are, we cannot say they have been playing to that level of expectation. However, they, in the last three weeks, they have been dominant. They starting to look more like themselves. The first two out, I'm gonna go with the, the nifty lines of Penn State. All right, they eight. They looking for real, but we're gonna find out here soon how for real they looking. But as of right now, they are looking for real. And around out that top six, I'm gonna go with the Gators down there in the swamp in Florida. Now, I want to say that hey, they have a true test tomorrow afternoon at 3.30 on CBS. Holla at your boy. And, hey, we're going to see if they can get the job done. This will let us know who who is the beast in the East. But, hey, those are my top six. Jay, what you got? Yeah, I just, I, we, got the same, we got the same top four. So if the playoffs started today, we'd have the same four teams in there. We just have a bit of a different order. I'm going with Ohio State, number one. I think, to my eyes, they look like the best team in the country. They do it on both ends, offensively and defensively. When I look at all when I look at all the teams that we've laid out so far, I don't see another team that does it as well as they do on both sides. We look at LSU offensively, they're formidable offensively, but their defense, their defense to me, as well as Alabama's, I don't think their defense is quite measure up to what Ohio State brings. That's why I got the Buckeyes number one. I got Alabama second. I got LSU third. I'm giving Alabama just just Primarily just on the just a, a, a historical advantage, if you will, even though I think I think the, the game they got coming up, I think it's a toss up. 
Tua's ankles will have a lot to do with that game. But, of course, whoever wins that game will have a big leg up in the SEC West. And then rounding out the top four, I got the Clemson Tigers. If you recall when we did our initial rankings, what, four or five weeks ago, I was very I was very critical of Clemson, as you were. I had them about seventh, I believe. I think you had them at sixth. And it was because we just didn't we just weren't all that impressed with what we were seeing. The eye test just didn't it didn't wow us from a team that was returning so much talent offensively. They just didn't seem to be, you know, hitting on all cylinders. They seem to be progressing towards that now. Though you mentioned you you hit it right on the head. The last three weeks they've been dominating. It's ACC teams, and we know the ACC is not all that impressive. But I mean, Clemson, Clemson can't do nothing about that. They just just win, baby. They just got to keep winning. And if they continue the way the way that season progressing right now, they're going to be back in the playoff, no question about it. First two out, I got Penn State just as you do. They're eight and zero. They look awfully impressive, and they're going to have some opportunities to continue to build that resume. And number six, we'll get there. We're starting to get into one loss club. I got Oklahoma. I'm sticking with the Sooners. Uh, when I look at when again, I'll keep going back to the eye test. Even though they lost to Kansas State, who, oh, by the way, is in the rankings now based off that win. The eye test for me at Oklahoma, I'm, I'm impressed by them, even though they lost. Offensively, they're a juggernaut. They do it, they do it on the ground. They do it in the air. Jalen Hurts, when you look at what he's been able to do coming from Alabama, I don't think any of us knew Jalen Hurts had this type of capability throwing the football. So give credit to Jalen Hurts. Give credit to Lincoln Riley. They're doing some great things out there. The problem that they had last Saturday was defensively, they reverted back to their ways in years past to where they just couldn't get stops. And I think that's an aberration. I think their defense is better than what they showed. They were very good against Texas, if you recall. They sacked Sam Ellinger nine times. These are things I'm paying attention to. So I'm giving them a slight edge up on Florida and other one-loss teams that we'll get into. All right, so that's y'all two's top six. And before we get to seven through ten, I'll throw mine in real quick, and then we'll see if we got anything else to say here. So uh, I've got Alabama number one and Clemson number two. Simple fact is I believe these two teams have earned the right. They've earned the respect. Uh, they're the two teams we always see in the national championship every year. You know, we got those other teams and the resumes and whatever. But somehow, after we sifted the pan, sifting through our gold, what's left, it's always Clemson and Alabama. So I think until these teams lose – uh, they deserve to be number one and number two, but I would absolutely agree. Both teams seem to have some issues, especially Clemson maybe is, is good. But, hey, they're still coached by Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney, and they're still quarterbacked by Trevor Lawrence and Tua Tagovailoa. So until that changes or until one of these teams lose, i got to keep them at one and two. Uh, I've got LSU at number three and Ohio State at number four. I, I just slightly think LSU's schedule lends them to have a little bit of above Ohio State. Uh, I know both you guys are, well, Drink has LSU above Ohio State also, but I think they're, it's so razor thin. You know, Ohio State has looked more impressive. Just They've just absolutely just went scorched earth on these other teams where LSU's had to struggle a little more, but they have played, you know, a little bit better teams uh, with three top ten victories. That is so hard to ignore, and they have the Heisman front runner in Joe Burrow, although I would say that uh, Chase Young and Justin Fields are going to be, you know, hot on his heels going into November. And then number five, I've got Penn State just like you guys do. I think they're the uh, best team out of the top four uh, looking in. And I think Florida at number six is uh, where I'm going to put them. I think they've been pretty impressive. They're coached well. They play great defense. They're getting some healthy pass rushers back. I think they're going to take it to Georgia, and I think they're going to be a team that represents the SEC East. 
uh, coming up in December. So uh, let's go back to the number seven through ten. Some of the teams kind of sifting around here, trying to get back into things. Some teams could get in, some teams that couldn't. We got some different ones. So uh, this time, let's start back with you, Jay. Who do you have seven through ten? I'm a, you, you guys had Florida in your top six. I got I got them right outside of top six. I got them at number seven. I, I think what they've been able to do without Felipe Franks is quite impressive. Albeit with Kyle Trask, he's done. A, I think he's done a fabulous job. There's a, his, the one loss that they have is against LSU in Death Valley. I thought they played offensively. I thought they looked pretty good defensively. They let, they let me down just a little bit, but still a lot to like with the Florida Gators and. Right behind them, I got the Georgia Bulldogs, and we are, we mentioned briefly the game tomorrow on CBS, Georgia-Florida. Look, that's an elimination game. So whoever can win that game will, have the in, will definitely have the inside track to the SEC East and to the SEC Championship game and will be in great position. Uh, at number nine, I got Oregon. I don't want to do it. I don't think y'all want to do it, but we got to put some respect on the Pac-12 at this point as we continue to progress in the rankings. Listen, Oregon's one loss was against the Auburn Tigers in week one. Ever since then, they've gotten to act together. They're playing well. And listen, if they continue, if things continue and they can win out, they could be a factor, especially considering Oklahoma just took that one L against Kansas State. It's going to get, it's going to get mighty interesting if Oregon or Utah continues their, with their winning ways. So we'll see how it progresses. And I, I know, I know you're going to hammer me, but I do not have Utah number 10. I have the Minnesota going Gophers. They're eight and oh. They're undefeated. We got to pay attention to this. There's nuance to it. There's context. Let's not get carried away. Again, let's not get carried away because it's not. Like, I got them at number ten. They're not fighting for a playoff spot at this point. Although they will have opportunities coming up. They got Penn State. What next week? They got Penn State. So they're gonna have an opportunity to show how for real they are. But look, I like what PJ Fleck is doing out there. The last four weeks, they've been flat out dominating the Big Ten opponents. So we'll see how it progresses, but that's what I got. I got Minnesota number 10. All right, so let me uh, – when we're rolling into that one-loss club, as you say, we're handing out these hot L's. Who wants your L's? Got your L's. Get top shelf, mid shelf, low shelf. It don't matter. Get your L's. All right, we're going to – number seven, you know I got the Bulldogs, all right? Wasn't um, impressed with their one-loss. However, it was within the SEC, and it was a last-minute field goal in overtime. Um, so that happens, you know, you, you start feeling yourself and, you know, you lose. That That's my problem. That's why I have them at seven. Now, eight, I have Oklahoma. I know some people say, man, come on, man. Oklahoma, number one offense in the nation. Yeah. But I want to know what your defense ranking is because you was just down right off. God awful. I mean, you had one player that looks like he can even sniff the NFL right now, and that was the middle linebacker, uh, Kyler Murray. The rest of these cats on here looking like they still trying to learn how to tie their shoes. It was ridiculous. You let Kansas State roll out for it. Kansas State. Kansas State Wildcats roll out 45 straight points. If that was any other team in the nation, we would be talking about how, how they fell off and how we don't need to talk about them no more. But it's Oklahoma, so I guess we'll just act like we ain't see that. The Oregon Ducks, right? My 9 to 10 is the Oregon Ducks and the Utah Utes. Now, let's be real here. I'm not going to lie. I'm not the biggest fan of the Pac-12, but I got to give them a little respect. Here's the deal. Oregon, coming in here, they got an NFL quarterback, and they seem like they're starting to get their stuff together. They played Auburn in the first week of the 
or the uh, season. I get them kudos for even trying it because we know when the SEC played a big, played a Pac-12 in Week One, they hands out these business cards. So I'm gonna give Oregon the benefit of the doubt for even taking the game because they could have been like, ah, we could, we'll play somebody from the ACC. No, they came on, they played the SEC, and they took that L on the chin. It is what it is. Now Utah, I ain't got no excuse for Utah. It just out of the teams I had left, I kind of had to slide another team. You know, you know, I had to do my thing. So I put Utah in now. But my 7 through 10, I would say this. Out of those teams, like you said, Georgia is playing the elimination game this week. So they'll be able to show us if they can get it done. If they lose, that's it. We ain't got to work. We ain't talking to Georgia. You're done. Go ahead and get ready for Alamo Bowl. Now, Oklahoma you know, they, they still can win the, pack, the the Big 12. And here's my thing with Oklahoma. And this is why that loss looks so bad for me. Because if they win the Big 12, they're probably the only one-loss champion that could come out of this scenario and still miss the playoff just because how dominant Kansas State was in that game. Yes, I understand what the final score was, but if you watch the game, which I think the committee did, you, will, you can see how Kansas State was just rolling on them the run game just rolling up on them. That, that is a, a sign of cautionary tale because you can tell me this offense is going to be as good as you want to, but just like you said, that ugly head of the defense reeled off that was not a good look for Oklahoma. So I know this wasn't part of the question, but I just want to throw this out here. If I had to pick one of those four teams to make it in the playoff from 7 to 10, my team would be Oklahoma. It would be Oklahoma, but it's one thing to look at. Well, yeah, so 7 through 10, guys, we're mostly in agreement here again. Uh, I have Oregon at number 7, only because, like you said about their loss to Auburn, I think it was a little better than what Utah suffered, so their Pac-12 uh, friend, I got them a little bit lower. I, I do applaud uh, them for going out and playing an SEC team like Auburn in week one. I think that should be something that more teams do, and we need to get away from all these. Uh, I'm going to go play Northwest Arkansas Tech, you know, week one instead of going out there and making it a big opening weekend. So uh, I think they've also – they had a five-game stretch where they allowed seven or less points uh, to uh, some teams like Stanford and Colorado. So that's, that's something you got to look at. Now, their defense has slipped the last two weeks against Washington and Washington State. But uh, they had they had some time then where they were defense was playing well. I have Oklahoma at eight. Agree with him. Y'all said about Oklahoma, the defense is suspect. But I do believe if there was a team of this little pack here to make the run and get back in, it would be Oklahoma. I just hope we don't see another case of a Big Twelve ball where the defense lets them down and they get smoked in the playoff or whatever the case may be. I've got Georgia at nine. I thought that. South Carolina loss was bad, but what I almost thought was worse was how they played against Kentucky. They came out the next week, and they looked listless. They looked hungover. They looked like they didn't want to be there. They were flopping around. They had like 20 yards. Jake Fromm had like 20 yards passing in the third quarter, and they were hanging with Kentucky, who hadn't even completed a pass until the fourth quarter. So I don't know what's going on with them, but they, again, have every ability to turn it around. They're a championship, at least caliber team. They've been there before. They could very well turn it around, smoke Florida, and get right back in the race. And then I've got Utah at number 10. Um, and an interesting note of Oregon and Utah both have big road tests this weekend. Uh, Oregon going to USC for a night game on Fox, and Utah playing at Washington uh, at a 4 o'clock game on Fox, which is a little surprising. But you get some Pac-12 action during the day. How exciting. So that's my top 10. And uh, I think uh, we pretty much got the same teams, it looks like, you know. 
See, I want to I want to go back. I want to go back to one point about these one loss teams, and I want to I want to highlight Oklahoma and Oregon for just a sec because I think it, I think it's possible unless unless there's an SEC two SEC teams that can somehow get in. I think that, but I think that fourth spot it could come down to a Big Twelve champ. Well, I think it'll be Oklahoma, and I'm going to go with Oregon for the sake of argument right now. Both teams, just assuming that both teams win the rest of their game. They're each going to have that one loss. We got Auburn for Oregon, and we got Kansas State for Oklahoma. I will remind you, Kansas State just entered the top 25. If they continue to build off that victory and keep winning, I would argue that helps Oklahoma, and it doesn't look as bad as it does right now. And the same thing I would say with Auburn. Listen, we know about Auburn, and we know about the struggles they have at the quarterback position, and they know they still got some tough games remaining, particularly against Alabama and the Iron Bowl. If they continue to fall off as we may think they will, that loss doesn't look as good for Oregon. That's just one thing I want to point out. I think that could wind up helping Oklahoma. But I would say this. I would say this. You need a dramatic shift from Oklahoma needs Kansas State to do uh, better more than Oregon needs Auburn to do better. I, I'd agree with that. If both of these teams were to fall out of the rankings, Oregon got the advantage. Because people people sympathize with you losing to a, a talented team in week one. Not when it's week eight and you you sort of you like a thirty point favorite. You know what I'm saying? See, Oregon wasn't even a favorite in that game. Auburn was the favorite. Or Auburn won. So I would say real quick, uh, you have to remember also, like you're saying, Oregon and Auburn, that was a scheduled game. They went out and wanted to play that game. Oklahoma lost to a Big 12 uh, opponent, just someone they had to play no matter what, whereas Auburn, uh, Oregon and Auburn went out and scheduled that game in a non-conference. That non-conference strength of schedule is something the committee always looks at, and you're right, they are sympathetic to teams who lose in week one and then make their way back versus dropping games later, You know, whether it be just more on your memory or you get more of a pass in week one, I don't know. But they have shown that in the past. But I was going to say, the reason I had said what I said about Oklahoma is Oklahoma is going to get more of a chance to make a better case to the committee. What do I mean by that? Oklahoma's going to play more. See, the whole Pac-12 thing is kind of hurting themselves with their sorry network. And I ain't going to go down that rabbit hole. But Oklahoma's going to get a better chance to show everybody who they are, Right. They're gonna they're gonna be on TV more. They're gonna have more primetime games and whatever, whatever. Not to mention their quarterback is in the Heisman race, so people are gonna look at that. Justin Herbert is not really in the Heisman race right now, so people have kind of in the back of their mind forgot about Oregon after that loss, just simply because they lost already. So I guess when you look at that, it's pros and cons for both. That's why we play. That's why they play the games. That's why the season's gonna unfold. But I think that's a very good battle of one-loss teams as of now to look at is that Oklahoma versus Oregon case. Yeah, you're going to have Oklahoma, though, is going to get a chance to play number 12 Baylor. Uh, so they'll have a, a top 10, top 15 match left, whereas Oregon doesn't have anything left to um, go with. They all, None of these teams are ranked, so that's going to be it's going to be tough. Hey, hey, you just had to come up here with the Baylor. You just had to... They won last night. What do we want? 
Hey, you I mean, lucky I ain't you lucky I ain't put them in my top ten too. Hey, at least at least Baylor's ranked, man. I mean Oregon, they had nobody ranked left to play, so yeah, that's Okay, okay, you got a you, you got a point, Coda. Alright, you got a point. I'm back. They got one I mean I'm saying they got one more ranked team than Oregon's got left. So if we're making the case for the war, it's gonna be tough. Right. Uh, but, hey, um, one, hey, we didn't say much about the Georgia Florida game. Who we liking that one tomorrow? I, I, well, we know we know who Cody takes. Okay, okay, just me and you then. I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna take Florida. In the game. I think Florida. I'm gonna take Florida. I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm surprised. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go Georgia. I think. Listen, they haven't. I think this is a playoff team at the beginning of the year. I think it's playoff talent offensively. I think we get the best of them tomorrow. I think Jake Fromm. I think Jake Fromm reminds us all how good he is and how good he can play. They get Swift going. I think they look really good. I think now, they get done. I don't know, man. Like he should, but I think Hella Killer is throwing a better ball than Jake Fromm right now. So I'm good. I'm gonna go with Florida on this one. Um, I'm just not liking what I'm seeing for Jake Fromm in the past couple of weeks. You know what? You know what? You're absolutely right. I, I'm surprised AJ Hinch didn't go to Helen Keller from the bullpen too. All right, guys, it's time to finish it off with a rapid reaction. A lot of topics in a little bit of time. We'll start with you, Drink. Coach wide receiver T.Y. Hilton suffered a calf injury during Wednesday practice and could miss three to four weeks. Big deal? It's a huge deal. The Colts have other options in the passing game, but no one as good and as explosive as T.Y. Hilton. It's a huge deal. Nuggets coach Mike Malone called his team's defensive performance on Thursday night's loss to the Pelicans embarrassing. Do you agree? I, I got to, man. I, like I said earlier, I don't. What was going on with the Nuggets? Did they did the did they get too much success too fast or something? Maybe they I don't know. Like it's a little weird what's going on there. The the Yankees declined Edwin Encarnacion twenty twenty million dollar team option for twenty twenty. Right move? I think so. I think that's too much money for a bat that to quite quite honestly was a disappointment in the ALCS. Too many strikeouts, nowhere near enough hits. Kevin Durant says his on-court spat with Draymond Green last November did play a role in his decision to leave Golden State. You surprised? Absolutely. Absolutely not, I should say. I'm not surprised. What I am surprised is Kevin Durant actually said it, but I'm not surprised that it had something to do with him leaving. You can't talk to someone like that and think they're just going to forget about it. I don't care what kind of friends you are, but I am surprised that he said something about it on national TV. The Seahawks claim wide receiver Josh Gordon off waivers. Significant? It could be. It's another. It's a, a talented weapon for Russell Wilson, and a if he can get on the field and stay on the field, could be an excellent complement to what they do with Tyler Lockett. Redskins rookie quarterback Dwayne Haskins will make his first career start this Sunday against the Bills. What do you expect? I definitely don't expect Kyler Murray, that's for sure. We didn't beat that horse. I do expect him to be better, though. Uh, he gets a full week as the number one. Um, I, I expect him to be better, but I don't expect a whole lot of him, just just to be better. He ain't Danny Dimes, but he, he should be able to do something. The Mets have hired Carlos Beltran to be their next manager. Good hire? I think so. He played for the New York Mets for seven seasons, and he was a he was a big veteran presence for the Astros back in 2017, a great presence in that clubhouse. I think he can be an effective leader of men and be a good manager for the Mets. We'll see. Tomorrow night at Madison Square Garden live on, on pay-per-view, it's a welterweight main event between the number three ranked welterweight Jorge Masvidal versus the number seven ranked lightweight Nate Diaz for the BMF belt. Who you got? 
Yeah, I'm going to take Mazdaf. Hey, this dude is a straight killer. He done smoked his last three guys. And when I say smoke him, he knocked the last guy out in five seconds. I mean, this guy's a straight killer. Nate Diaz, he's a crowd, crowd favorite. They made up a belt for him. I mean, this this couldn't be no better. But, yeah, Mazdaf, that, that's my guy. He's going to take care of that one. The Eagles are expected to have a deep threat, have their deep threat, wide receiver Deshaun Jackson back in the lineup for Sunday's game against the Bears. Big deal? Oh, man, this is a huge deal. He had eight catches, 154 yards, and two touchdowns against the Redskins in week one, and we haven't seen him since. That's a big dimension for the Eagles. They need a downfield target to stretch the field for Carson Wentz. This is a huge deal. Last one tomorrow night in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand on the Zone. It's a boxing showdown for the WBO Light Heavyweight Championship between the current WBC franchise and WBA Super Middleweight Champion Saul Canelo Alvarez. Versus the current WBO World Light Heavyweight Champion Sergey Kovalev, who wins and why? Hey man, Canelo, he's gonna win just because he's on another level. But for my boxing guys that actually want to hear why I say that, Canelo's gonna beat up the inside game. Sergey Kovalev, good boxer, inside game about as weak as a, a cowboy box in the ring. So hey, Everett's gonna tear that up, and he'll be the new uh, WBO Light Heavyweight Champion. All right, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinking. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. I'm out. Holla at your boy. I'm out of here.